Good afternoon and welcome to the show. It's a wonderful Thursday afternoon in Abuja. In case you've noticed the noise in the background, the cars and all that, it's because I'm currently on fuel queue. We're having uh, fuel shortages again in the city in Abuja. Well, not like the queue, the uh, the queues went anywhere over the last uh, maybe year and a half. So it's just um, part of our daily existence at the moment. Anyway, but not to be a downer, we are going to tackle a question that is not um, particular to you, just in case you are one of the people who happen to be having these challenges. So the question for today is, people are declining face-to-face meetings with me. What's the problem and what can I do? So again, the question, people are declining face-to-face meetings with me. What's the problem and what can I do? So like I mentioned um, in the intro, it's not a problem that is particular to you if you if you're having, if you have this problem at the moment because everyone faces it at some point, especially um, those and people who are involved in certain industries where at some point having a face-to-face meeting is uh, desired or practical or um, useful. So, for instance, um, in um, for those of you who've been listening to the podcast for a while, you know that I started off in the wedding and the event space, and so in those spaces, it's not typical. It's not. Um, it is very typical, rather, to have a meeting with the vendor that you're going to be doing business with, if you're the bride or the groom, because you're going to be spending um, hundreds of thousands of naira, in some cases millions of naira, um, when it comes to renting the hall. So it only makes sense that for high-value and high-ticket items like that, that people are going to want to have a face-to-face meeting. People want to come to your event hall to come and um, not only look at the facilities, but check you out as a manager. People want to be able to check out your studio as a wedding photographer. They also want to uh, see what your office is like or whatever, if you are the um, event planner. And uh, so those sorts of things are typical. And then there are other um, industries or other um, service trades, like for instance, people in finance and uh, maybe in insurance. It makes sense, especially if you're dealing with high net worth individuals, to uh, put a show in, to go to their homes, uh, to go to their offices or wherever, to have um, a face-to-face because they're going to have lots of questions um, to ask about wealth management, uh, your investment philosophy, things like that. Uh, Basically, the sorts of conversations that cannot be done over email or it would be too cumbersome to have over WhatsApp. So for lots of people, this uh, question makes a lot of sense. So if you're the insurance professional, you're the wedding photographer, you're the uh, event planner, uh, you're the insurance salesperson, um, whatever it is that you are, you're the swimming instructor, or people don't want to have face-to-face meetings with you, uh, moms don't want to see you um, at the house to discuss uh, swimming lessons um, for uh, their kids in primary school or whatever, um, what are you supposed to do? So, number one, uh, take courage in the fact that it's not just a problem that is uniquely yours. So, we're going to have um, lots of tidbits over here on the podcast to help you out. And then, of course, if you discuss with other people in your field, you're going to be able to find useful hints about how people get around um, this problem. Now, there are multiple reasons why people uh, want to reject um, uh, rejecting face-to-face meetings with you or in-person meetings with you. Now, uh, for the sake of simplicity, I'm going to remove the extremely... Um, or let's say personal reasons that people might have for not wanting to meet with you, um, including um, sanitary reasons, uh, maybe your breath stinks, uh, let's see what else, you know, stuff like that. So I'm going to ignore all those um, sorts of reasons because there's nothing that I can say from a sales perspective that will be able to help. So for instance, if you have halitosis, 
um, I think that's a situation where the there's some glands at the back of your throat. I think those ones that either produce mucus or are responsible for producing antibodies. I think anti antibodies. Sorry, I think they become inflamed and so they produce that nasty smell at the back of your mouth. Um, it's unfortunate. Some people have that condition. I went to school with one of those chaps, and so. Um, yeah, my apologies, or rather our sympathies if you're one of those individuals who have uh, those problems, like um, apart from halitosis, uh, body odor, uh, stuff like that. So um, meeting with a medical professional is going to be the way to go if those are the sorts of problems that you are having. Now, for the rest of us, uh, the reason why our potential clients are declining meetings with us are much more practical. Number one, there are security concerns, especially for those of us in this part of the world, in Nigeria, uh, in Ghana, uh, where else? You don't just want to let anybody into your own space. How do you know that the person um, is not a thief, um, is not a robber, is not associated with uh, any terrorist groups and um, blah, 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 blah. So Nigeria, Ghana, Chad. Okay, maybe not Ghana. Nigeria, Chad, uh, Cameroon, where else? You know, we, we know ourselves. We know those countries. Um, I'm not trying to say that any of the countries that I have mentioned in this case are particularly bad or particularly um, nasty. I'm not trying to blacklist those countries because even if it's in uh, America or in the UK, those challenges uh, are still there. Uh, you are worried about who it is that you're letting into your home or into your office space and so people want to be concerned. So, security concerns. Then there's also the time commitment of having a meeting um, with you because face-to-face -face meetings often involve uh, driving to or from a venue, giving somebody 20-30 minutes of your time. You're not sure how that person is going to manage the time and um, in other words, agreeing to a meeting with someone, even if you agree to it being a one-hour meeting, it's not out of place. Depending on which part of the country you live in or which part of the world you live in, it's not out of the place for that to turn into a two-hour commitment. Because imagine you drive 30 minutes to get there, 30 minutes back, that's already an hour. You schedule the meeting for 30 minutes, the person shows up late and he goes over by 15 minutes and you know, that's it. That's two hours of your day gone. So, uh, especially for those people who live in Lagos, uh, in Port Harcourt, um, let's see what else, you know, certain cities in um, Brazil that have huge traffic congestion, um, these are not... Um, these are not small concerns, uh, time commitments. And then, um, the big daddy of them all is that you are being pushy. Or should I say the big mommy of them all? The big daddy or the big mommy? Because yesterday was International Women's Day. Uh, so happy International Women's Day to uh, the listeners of the show. Where was I? Okay, so the big daddy or the big mommy of them all is that you're being pushy. Nobody wants to deal with a pushy individual at all, whether in personal relationships or in business relationships. So those are the three problems. Number one, the practical concern of security. Number two, there's the time commitment of having to deal with you. And then number three, you are being pushy. These are some of the reasons why people are declining meetings with you. And now we're going to go into what you can do to solve these problems. Now for the security challenges, uh, the only thing you can do is to make sure that you are a credible professional. You have to make sure that you come across as a credible professional because if you look credible, you sound credible, then it lessens the chance that the potential customer is welcoming a crook or a fraudster into their personal um, space. I know some of you might not be convinced with this because uh, some frauds are really good at impersonating um, authoritative and credible people but um, that's not really our concern that's the that is what our potential 
customers or potential clients should do. They should do their best to weed people out. But on your own part, you, you can't do anything about the fraudster. So just try to appear as competent, as uh, professional um, as you can. So now the larger question becomes, or rather the next question becomes, how do you establish credibility? How do you establish competence? Um, and uh, the answer, like many other questions on the podcast, is it depends. It depends according to the context. It depends according to your product, to your service, your trade, your industry. So it depends. So, for instance, in uh, some industries, credentials are a huge way of um, showing credibility. So if you are in medicine, law, architecture, accounting, engineering, finance, you know, etc., then credi- um, credentials uh, are huge. So, like, my first, my academic background was in law. And so, in Nigeria, if a potential customer who is a high net worth individual has to take a choice between two legal teams, and let's say one of them is headed by a senior advocate of Nigeria and the other is headed by someone who just came out of law school maybe eight years ago, chances are that the senior advocate is going to be able to book the meeting over the junior person. Uh, I'm not going to say this is right or this is wrong. I'm just saying that that's the way it is. So if uh, you have credentials, then bring them up um, during the sales process. So if you're in the finance industry, talk about your CFA charter. CFA, that's the Chartered Financial Analyst. For those of you who've been listening to the show, you know that my wife has aced um, level one and she's getting ready for level two. And um, I know she's going to ace that. And then after that, level three. And we're going to have that one in the bag. And... um, as you start rolling out the business opportunities that we have as a family tied to that, I'll keep you guys um, posted. So, um, yeah, for those of you uh, ladies listening to the podcast, um, more girl power on um, more girl power towards my wife for that. Yeah. So where are we? Oh yeah. So if you have your safe charter in your if you're insurance and you're in banking, it's something that you ought to bring up during the sales process when you're having the conversation with the client so if you guys are talking investment wealth management and blah 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 then of course it makes sense to say that um, you have the charter you have financial chartered analyst and you got your qualifications um you know eight ten years ago and you've been working on this field um ever since you know it's something that you ought to bring up in the conversation because if i'm a high net worth individual and i want somebody to manage my millions or my billions and there's a choice between a CFA charter holder who is trying to reach me and then another person who is the younger son or the younger daughter of a friend but who just came out from um, business school. Maybe they just got their MBA um, last year. Chances are I might look towards the CFA holder who's been in the business close to a decade. Maybe they don't even have their CFA but anyway, I'm sure you get the point. So in these industries, people are assess- assessing credentials all the time. So if you're credentialed, bring it up. If you're a doctor, lawyer, architect, you know, um, bring up your credentials. So like the architect thing, um, in certain environments, or rather with certain people here in Nigeria, there's a difference between an architect who finished in uh, from the University of Joss or who finished from... Um, or Bafemi Awolowo University. There's a difference between that kind of architect and another architect who might have finished in maybe Oxford and then from there went to do their, uh, what's it called, the further studies in the New York Institute of Modern Design and Architecture or something. You know, So for some people, that makes all the difference. So if you have the credentials, be sure to drop it. 
Then, of course, there's also professional history. Okay, yes, I mentioned professional history already, where if you're into wealth management, you want to mention that you've been doing that for the past 10 or 15 years. Um, I make it easier for people to hop on a call with you. So your professional history, your trade history, and then, of course, some name dropping. So... Um, if you have the CFA, you've been doing this for the past 10 years, and then you happen to be referred to Mrs. Ogedengbe by her best friend, let's say uh, Madame Bisi, and you've been handling Madame Bisi's account for the last, let's say, five years, and you've helped her investment portfolio grow by 150%. You know, in this case, it all adds up together, and it makes it much more likely that Mrs. Ogedengbe might take the meeting, uh, might take the meeting um, with you. Not just because you have the credentials and the professional history and the trade history, but then you've done a bit of name dropping. You've name dropped that uh, you've worked with uh, her friend, Madame Bissi, or maybe some other notable individual that people know. Okay, guys, sorry about that. I had to turn on the car. Suddenly the queue is moving and I forgot that I left the radio on. That's where that sound came from. Anyway, welcome to the world of producing podcasts um, live and in the field. Okay, so, I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought. Where was I? Okay, so, uh, name dropping. Uh, another um, way that we can achieve some um, credibility or so some competence is if we build commonality with uh, people because it's just a human thing that we assume that people who are of a similar uh, function or state in life like we are must be as competent or as credible as we are um, if nothing else so try and show some commonality with uh, people that you are having conversations with uh, because people are comfortable with people who are like them and they like doing business with people who are like them well that's not always the case because of course when you go to the brain surgeon uh, or the cardiologist you expect that the brain surgeon or the cardiologist is more educated than you are well at least in this particular field but anyway, I'm sure you guys get the point so um, yeah, try and build some rapport with them and emphasize the common factors between uh, both of you. Now, uh, where are we? Okay, that's dealing with competence and credibility. So we have three factors. The second was time. Yes, the perceived time of um, having a meeting with you. So like I said, in certain parts of the world, Lagos, Port Harcourt, Nigeria, uh, if somebody agrees to a 30-minute meeting, that actually turns into a two-hour uh, time commitment. And so, um, well, at least that's what the person thinks anyway. So how do we get around that? So um, what, how we get around that is, well, first off, we have to spell out the agenda ahead of time. So, Ms. Ogedengbe, uh, thank you very much for having the meeting with me. Uh, we're going to be discussing ABC and 123. So you have that kind of phone call with Ms. Ogedengbe, or you send her the text message, or you send her the email, and she sees that the agenda is tight and concise. It gives her a sense that, okay, uh, you know what, yes, this meeting, we can wrap it up in uh, 10 minutes, we can wrap it up in um, 15 minutes. It's more comfort comforting to the potential client, and it also gives them a sense of what to expect or what to deal with at the meeting. Then, of course, we can also make it convenient for them to um, meet them on their own meet them on their own turf. So instead of having Madame Okidengbe go to um, a, a mutual location that you guys decide, you can decide to meet her at her office or uh, some other place that's much more convenient for her. If she can lessen the time commitment on her own end, it makes her much more likely to want to accept the meeting. Then, of course, uh, let's see, what else? Okay, we have to be sure that everyone sees the value or the need for the meeting. That's a big one. And this is how you make people see 
the value or the need for the meeting. There's a basic criteria that you can use to filter people before you propose having a meeting with them to explore um, options. Because if you're in certain service professions, like I've mentioned, if you're in wealth management, insurance, or if you're a wedding photographer, nobody is just going to uh, hand over hundreds of thousands of naira uh, to you to photograph their wedding or their millions of naira of their portfolio for you to manage if you cannot establish um, some value upfront or if they don't think there's any need for it. So the criteria that you can use to weed out who to uh, ask for meetings in the first place is an old one that we've referred to over here on the podcast, something that Zig Ziglar has spoken about time and time again. If you're familiar with his videos, I'm sure you know this one, and that is want, need, and afford. Sorry, not Zig Ziglar, Brian Tracy, and that's want, need, and afford. You want to be sure that you're speaking to someone who wants the product or the service that you have, who needs the product or the service that you have, and it looks like the person can afford. Those are the sorts of people you should be asking for meetings. Because if you're asking for people, if you're asking for meetings and it looks like the person can afford uh, the hefty fees for wealth management, but quite frankly, they are not interested in wealth management. Maybe they think, look, I'm a young man, I'm 50 years old, I'm not going to die tomorrow, so I'm not going to have this conversation. Um, it's not about whether the individual is right or wrong, it's about what the individual thinks. And as far as he's concerned, I'm a healthy 50-year-old, I'm not going to die tomorrow, God willing I'll live for another 30 years. I'm not having this wealth conversation now, I'm not having this insurance conversation now, I'll have it when I'm 70 or uh, when I'm 80. There's nothing you can do about that. Don't bother asking that individual for the meeting because the person will feel that the meeting is not of value to them. So always be thinking want, need, and afford when you're thinking of who to invite for meetings and who not to. Okay, apologies. The queue, we are moving again. So I have to get the car in gear and move down the line. Okay. Okay, all right, cool. Now, let me get back. All right. Okay, so where are we? Okay, yeah, what? Uh, want, need, and afford. Want, need, afford, yes. Want, need, and afford. That's a useful criteria to figure out who to ask for meetings. And so if a person doesn't meet this basic criteria, don't bother asking them to come for the meeting because they are not going to find the meeting to be um, valuable. And so now to the last one, you're being pushy. How do we stop harassing people? Uh, to be fair, there are some people who are very pushy but do not know. And there are people who are very... Um, there are some people who are very reserved and who also do not know that as well. So whenever it comes to being pushy, being aggressive, those sorts of issues, we can't go with how we feel at the moment. So it's not about whether you feel aggressive, you feel pushy, or you feel uh, like you're mousy, or um, you feel like you're too uh, laid back. We need to look for some objective um, criteria to to pace ourselves, let me put it that way. So, um, okay, so now to stop being pushy, we should only be dealing with people that we've had qualified conversations with. Let me repeat, you should only be dealing with people that you've had qualified conversations with. Now, for those of you who've listened to the show, you already know what, if you've listened to any number of episodes, maybe 10, 20 episodes, you already know what uh, qualification is. But for the newbies, those who are listening to the show for the first time, qualification is the part of the sales process 
where you engage the person in conversations, whether um, whether it's verbal conversations, whether it's over the phone, whether email, you guys are pinging back and forth, you're texting. But bottom line is you're engaging the person in conversations, no matter the medium. And you're trying to figure out um, who they are, what they're about, what the problem is, the vision that they're trying to solve, um, you know, whatever, that sort of thing. So you're the lawyer, you're trying to figure out uh, what's the problem, uh, why is the person calling me, what's the problem with the tenant, or, or what are the issues with the election, uh, the person wants us to go to the election tribunal. You know, that's something that is currently happening at the moment in Nigeria. Elections are being contested. So if somebody calls you up as a lawyer, and they want you to go to the electoral tribunal on their behalf. These are the sorts of questions you'd be engaging them in because you're trying to figure out um, what's going on. Um, so those are qualification conversations. So now when you're done with that process, um, the assumption is that now the person that you've spoken to is, um, how will I put it, without sounding too uppity. The person is now qualified for you to invest your time, your resources and your uh, emotions in try and further the business relationship so uh, tools for qualifications there are many frameworks for qualifications are many when you're done listening to this podcast if you use the search function in your podcast app you can scroll back and uh, find episodes where i've dealt into some of this with more detail but i'll see if i can go over two or three here easy ones easy to remember that you can um, use so of course i've already mentioned want need and afford if the person wants what it is if they need what it is if it looks like they can afford what it is then the chances are they're going to be willing to hear back from you and they're going to be willing to take a meeting so in that case so long as you're focusing on want need and afford you are not being pushy so if you guys agreed on monday that you guys are going to have a meeting on thursday if you send a reminder on wednesday that is not being out of place that is not being pushy that is just you being a consummate professional because you guys agreed it looks like there's a want there's a need and there's uh, and the person can afford so by all means do what you can to um, push the relationship forward you will not be pushy and in fact the person will be glad that you reminded them about the meeting because let's face it you've lost the senatorial elections let's say the person has lost the senatorial elections um, of his district and they're looking for a competent lawyer uh, they have invested a lot in the elections um, they really want uh, outcome they really want um, redress they want justice um, so if they forget they actually will be happy that barrister so so and so as we call them in this part of the world uh, we call every single lawyer is called barrister so they'll be happy that barrister so so and so actually call them to remind them about the meeting. They say, oh, oh, barrister, thank you very much for reminding me. And no, Allah, no problem. So Hilton Hotel tomorrow, 10 a.m., no problem. I'll be there. Uh, where was I? Okay, so one need and afford. Then there's also BANT. BANT is an acronym that stands for Budget, Authority, Need, and Timelines. So when you're having conversations with people, you're trying to figure out um, if they have set aside a budget um, to solve the problem. Because if you're a wedding photographer and your cheapest package is 300k, it would be nice to know in the beginning of the conversation what kind of expectations that the bride has. So if it becomes clear that the bride has if it becomes clear that the bride has um, guys, sorry about that. In fact, I think this is. A, I think I'm going to stop making fewer. I'm going to stop making. Uh, re- podcast recordings when I'm out on the queue. You won't believe that this guy... Well, anyway, 
he tripped and it looked like he was about to hit his head on the floor. So that's why he shouted Chineke Me. I think Chineke Me is Igbo for my God. I think yeah, I think that's what it means, uh, my God. Anyway, where was I? Before the Chineke Chineke Keme incident. Yeah, band. Okay, so wedding photographer, your cheapest package is 300k. Now, if it turns out that the bride has expectations of uh, 150k for wedding photography, it is best if you know about it now rather than scheduling a meeting for next week and then you find out about it uh, then. So there are different ways of bringing up the budget um, uh, conversation. So back when I was in the wedding space, I used to go ahead and ask the question uh, straight up. So how much have you guys... How much have you guys allocated? Not a lot of people like asking that question, answering that question because they think you're going to pull a fast one over them. Another one is to give a range to say that uh, wedding photography services of this kind of quality will cost anything between 300k and 500k. Does that sound about right? Um, does that budget blend with what you had in mind? But most important thing was I would ask those questions early because it's important to get that out of the way before setting up the meeting. Because it's going to be frustrating for you and for the bride if she takes time off of work on Friday during her lunch break to drive 30 minutes to your studio and you guys have that meeting and then it turns out that look she was thinking 150k 200k but meanwhile your lowest package is 400k the gap between 150,000 naira and uh, 400,000 naira is too much in my own ex um, experience I would say there's nothing you can do to take a 150k bride and make her pay 400k but then again, if she came in and she was thinking 350k but your lowest package is 400k, there might be room you know, for you to step down or for her to uh, move on up. So we should be having these budget conversations. Authority, you need to be sure that you're speaking to the right person who can make the decisions. There's no point in calling a meeting with Mrs. Ogedengbe only to find out that Mrs. Ogedengbe is not the boss but Mrs. Ogedengbe is the secretary. And um, you know, we're talking about wealth management Okay, back to the wealth management example. I think it was wealth management um, that I used when I was talking about uh, when I called uh, the name Ms. Ogedengbe. So back to the wealth management thing. If we're talking to Mrs. Ogedengbe, well, Mrs. Ogedengbe is the secretary. There's no authority and it's a waste of time to call the meeting for Ms. Ogedengbe because she doesn't have the authority to okay everything, no matter how interested she is. It would be nice to have the principal there at the meeting. Uh, then of course need we all know what need is and then timelines when you can get a sense of what timelines the person um, has so back to the electoral uh, tribunal examples electoral tribunals electoral matters by law in Nigeria have to be settled by a certain date I can't remember if it's 60 days I think back when I was in school it used to be 60 days and then I think maybe 90 days but I'm not sure what it is now so in that case there's a clear um, timeline that one can work with so apologies the queue is moving again so i'm having to crank up the car and then to drive okay so if you're using bant as a qualifying um framework you're only asking people for meetings that you're sure they have a clear sense of uh, the budget we know who is responsible for making decisions we know that there's a need and we have a sense of what their timelines are then the chances are that you are not being pushy because everyone can see the value in uh, going ahead in this case it only uh, makes sense so if you're using one need and afford people are going to be willing to hear back from you if you're going with budget authority need and timelines people will be able to see from a practical sense that they ought to take the meeting um, with you and the other qualification networks like I mentioned and um, as you take selling much more seriously you'll be able to find out um, some more 
So, um, the summary, to get rid of this problem of people not wanting to take meetings with you, you should only be having meetings or scheduling meetings with people who see the value of interacting with you. If they don't see the value, then it's not worth chasing them down to try and explain this or to try and explain that. And of course, we have already gone over several ways that you can not only discover if this is a valuable prospect to talk to, but frameworks that can also help the potential customer gain clarity in their own mind that it will be valuable for you to uh, for them to take a meeting with you. So if you're interested in exploring these sorts of things and coming up with the sales process, how to work through these difficult issues in uh, sales and one-to-one -one marketing, these are the sorts of things that we're going to be exploring in the March 27th sales clinic that I mentioned on the previous episode, where you'd have the opportunity to have personalized sales coaching over WhatsApp. So the details are going to follow soon. And um, you guys wish me luck. Hopefully I'll be able to get fuel on time today so that uh, tomorrow's recording and for the next couple of days, we should be able to be in my uh, quiet recording space at home where we can get value without uh, people shouting uh, in our ears. So thanks for your time and attention. I'll catch you guys at the next recording.